The following audio is from Shady Grove Presbyterian Church in Rockville, Maryland. Our mission is to follow Jesus Christ and labor for his kingdom both in our area and around the world. For more information about Shady Grove Presbyterian Church, please follow us on Facebook and visit ShadyGrovePCA.org. Why he was born and why he came into this world. And the passage begins in John 18, beginning at verse 33. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord, or did others say it to you about me? Pilate said, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. Then Pilate said to him, so you are a king? And Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born. And for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, what is truth? Some of you are familiar with C.S. Lewis, a great author, theologian. He wrote this classic book called The Screwtape Letters, which is a fictional book about a senior demon, and he's writing to his, his nephew, a junior demon, a junior tempter, and it's Screwtape writing to Wormwood on how to keep people from following after God. Well, the book was written, written way back in the 1940s, But recently, in the last couple weeks on the Gospel Coalition website, I came across an interesting article from a pastor that was in the spirit of Lewis on how there was an extra uh, screw tape letter written. And he basically goes into three ways to keep people distracted at Christmas from getting the message. And the three things are pretty simple at least the first two anyway. First one is just keep, keep the patient sufficiently distracted. I mean, make sure he goes to every party, feels obligated to, get, to purchase a gift for everybody. Make sure he attends concerts, dinners, charity events. If his calendar isn't, isn't full, you failed. Exhaust him. Tire him out in any way you can. Keep him going, going. And if that doesn't work, distract him with en- en- entertainment and other mindless tricks. Keep him distracted. The second one is keep his celebrations merely sentimental and nostalgic and make him sure he only sings and reflects on things like sleigh bells and silver balls, silver bells and snowballs and and snowfalls and decorations and family gatherings and keep it very sentimental. And if that doesn't work, the third suggestion to get them to miss celebrating Christmas, he says, even so, you are not without one last method of attack. If all else fails, try keeping the enemy's story, which we call the bad news, limited to the invasion. It is bad enough that your patient thinks on this at all, but realize it could be worse. So if you foolishly allow him to focus his attention on the invasion, then at last be sure to let the story go no further in his mind, nothing more than a story about a baby, something cute and sweet, but nothing serious and significant. Find a way to keep the story in Bethlehem. You can even let him keep his manger scenes with all the animals present. Don't let it go no further. Make sure he keeps thinking of the enemy only as a child. Don't let him think about the enemy as a man or what he did 
or how he humiliated all of hell when he rose again. You concede the manger in your patient's thinking so long as you divorce it from the cross and the empty tomb. But once he begins to recognize there's more to the story of the bad news than just the invasion, especially if he thinks about the great defeat, then he'll turn in gratitude to the enemy. And I sincerely hope for your sake, especially, this does not happen. Your affectionate uncle, screw tape. You see, even Hollywood knows there's something wrong with just keeping Jesus in the manger. Some of you may not have seen the stupid movie Talladega Nights with Will Ferrell playing Ricky Bobby, but the dinner scene went all over YouTube with Will Ferrell praying over and over again to baby Jesus, baby Jesus, eight pounds, six ounce baby Jesus. And he's giving thanks for his $21 million that he made in the past year and for his smoking hot wife. And, you know, it's clear that he isn't interested in King Jesus. He's interested in a little rabbit's foot or Jesus safely in a manger to give him what he wants so he can grow his kingdom. You see, Jesus does bring an invasion. This is what the story of Christmas is about. It's an invasion. There was already a prior invasion when a third of the heaven fell with the angels. And there's this big problem called the devil and called demons and a world that's full of invasion from enemy territory. And Jesus comes bringing in a kingdom. And all that Jesus has to talk about, his number one subject again and again and again, and we're going to look at this as we're going through the Gospel of Matthew, and we're just getting started. 52 times in Matthew, Jesus wants to talk about the kingdom. The first words about out of his mouth are, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He's constantly talking about the kingdom, and he's the king of this kingdom. And if we're not missing it, if we're not paying attention, we miss it, because this king and his kingdom is so utterly upside down different than any kingdom you've ever heard of or seen in present day, in history of old, or present day drama just a few miles south of here. You see, when Jesus comes... Here he is standing before Pontius Pilate, and three times he says, my kingdom. Did you catch that? My kingdom, my kingdom, my kingdom. And twice he says, for this purpose, for this purpose, I have come, and I was born. And then he talks about the truth, the truth, the truth. And if you're of the truth here this evening, then you listen to his voice. But if you're not of the truth, and you're following another invasion, then you're not even going to hear any of this. It goes right over your head. You see, Jesus comes bringing in another kingdom as the king. And it's important to hear this because if you think about the kings of old, when the people of God wanted a a king, all the way back in 1 Samuel, Samuel was pretty upset about that, if you remember. In 1 Samuel chapter 8, we are told what the kings do. I think we've got a slide of this. He's, this is what Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking for a king from him. And he said, these will be the ways of the king who will reign over you. This is what kings do. Notice how many times it says they will take. He will take your sons and appoint them to his chariots and to his horsemen and run before his chariots. And he will appoint for himself commanders of thousands, 
commanders of fifties, and some to plow his ground and to reap his harvest and to make his implements of war and the equipment of his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive orchards and give them to his servants. He will take the tenth of your grain and of your vineyards and give it to his officers and to his servants. He will take your male servants and female servants and the best of your young men and your donkeys and put them to work. He will take the tenth of your flocks and you shall be his slaves." In that day you'll cry out because of your king, whom you have chosen for yourselves, but the Lord will not answer you in that day. But the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel, and they said, no, but there shall be a king over us. And those of you who like to you know, read the whole story of the Bible, that should remind you of an echo of something in the New Testament where the people cry out just the opposite. No, we will not have a king over us. No, deliver us Jesus to be crucified. No, release Barabbas. You see, but the interesting thing is the kings of old, they will only come to take, is what Samuel is saying. Jesus comes as this kingdom, and what he does is he comes to give. Listen to what he gives. These are some of the best Christmas presents for all time. This is what Jesus comes to do with his kingdom. Come to me. All you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. For even the Son of Man came not to serve, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Don't labor for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures through eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. I'm the living bread, Jesus says, that came down from heaven. And anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. To be with you forever, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven. He said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you since you've given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all you've given him. You see, Jesus is the king of kings, and he's come low in this great stoop, in the invasion, coming down as a baby, and he comes to establish his kingdom. And what we see about Jesus is the rest of the story, if we can't just leave him in the manger, we, we have to remember the manger is tied to the cross, and the manger is tied to the empty tomb, and it's all one picture of what Jesus has come to do to bring in this kingdom. But what does this kingdom look like? And I have to be honest, this is a struggle. There's so much about what what does this kingdom mean? We learn about it in seminary. We learn about it in Sunday school. It's the rule of God in the hearts of men. And how do you know when the kingdom has come upon you? Well, Jesus said this is what it's going to look like, that they're going to be poor in spirit. They're going to be people who mourn, and they'll be comforted. They're going to be people who are meek. They're going to inherit the earth. They're going to be people who hunger and thirst for righteousness. People who are merciful, who are pure in heart. People who are peacemakers, 
and those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. You see, if the kingdom is breaking in on you, you become a different person. It looks a lot different than the politics that we see on TV. It's people that are poor in spirit, people that are mourning, people that are meek. All of these things, hungering and thirsting for righteousness, merciful, pure in heart, peacemakers. If you had to summarize it in one word, it's the word humility. It's the blessing of humility. And when his kingdom breaks in on you, all of a sudden we find ourselves starting to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. You see, the Sermon on the Mount is about one thing. It's about the kingdom. The parables are about one thing. What are they about? The kingdom. How do the parables almost always begin? The kingdom of heaven is like, or the kingdom of heaven may be compared to. Six times in Matthew 13, it's the kingdom is about the parables. Or we could say, how about his return? We've got a whole chapter, Matthew 24. It's just about Jesus' return and setting up his kingdom. You see, the whole message is about the kingdom. But if you have a kingdom, you have to have a king. And Jesus is the king of his kingdom. And so Jesus comes in this invasion as the word made flesh. He comes as a prophet to give us the word so we can see for ourselves the author and meet him and know him. He comes as a prophet and he comes as a priest. What do priests do? Priests in the Bible did one thing mainly and that was to make atonement for sin. And they would offer up these sacrifices of lambs and these bloody sacrifices. And Jesus comes as our priest, and he comes down to lay his life down, the one who's holy, harmless, and undefiled, and separate from sinners. He's perfect, spotless lamb, and once for all makes atonement, once for all, forever, with his own blood as a priest. But he also comes as a king. And we need a king who will protect us, and who will provide for us. And Jesus' kingdom in theology, we break it out into two points. And this is laid out in the Westminster Shorter Catechism for us, question 102, because the Lord's prayer is all about one thing, the kingdom. You're praying for his kingdom to come. What's that look like? Well, it would mean his name being honored. It would mean his will being done. It would mean forgiving others as we've been forgiving. It would, it would mean being delivered in temptation and, and, and being guarded against the evil one himself for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory, right? So it's about his kingdom. And so when we pray the second petition, thy kingdom come, we pray that Satan's kingdom may be destroyed and that the kingdom of grace may be advanced. Ourselves and others brought in it and kept in it. And we're longing for what? The kingdom of glory may be hastened. We make a distinction between the kingdom of grace and the kingdom of glory. And we're in that kingdom of grace period now where, where you're given the opportunity and the privilege to repent and to have him be your king over you. And, and we're waiting for the fullness of his glory to be revealed. And we got a picture of it at the transfiguration where he breaks out in glory. And we, we see a picture of all of the prophecies of the Old Testament again and again talk about, I have established my king on my holy hill. And and to him is given glory and dominion and a kingdom and a people in Daniel 7. And he's the one that is, is the one Micah talks about who's going to be a ruler in Israel. And, and Isaiah 9, 6 about mighty God and everlasting father. And, and it talks about the zeal of the Lord will accomplish what? That he's going to be on the throne and of the increase of his government. There'll be no end. And so we're, we're in this kingdom of grace now 
We're longing for the kingdom to, of glory to come. And when he comes, he will get rid of all of his enemies. He will get rid of all sin and all the residue of sin and all the pain and the sorrow and the suffering. And the curse will be fully eradicated when he brings in the fullness of his kingdom. We long for that. But as his kingdom is breaking in now, have you received his grace? You see, we need his grace. We need his forgiveness because all of us have violated this king we haven't wanted this king to reign over us we wanted to keep jesus eight pounds six ounce jesus over in the manger because that's easy and that's safe but he comes to actually rule and reign over our hearts and lives and it means us for us waving the white surrender flag and making him king over our lives jesus doesn't need human votes to be installed as a king. He doesn't need taxes for his kingdom to be maintained. He doesn't need human armies to protect his kingdom. He doesn't need opinion polls to be reelected. This kingdom is not of this world, Jesus says, but it influences everything about this world. And the only way to be a part of this kingdom is to make him king of your world. And so, is he the king of your world? We sing... Every year at Christmas, we sing, let every heart prepare him room. Has your heart made room so that it's taking over the invasion in your life now? I hope so. Let's pray together. Lord, we need this kingdom to break in, and we thank you, Jesus, that you came to deal with the devil, to deal with sin, to deal with our sins against you. We thank you, Lord, for making atonement. We thank you that you are king and head of this universe and that you are coming again. We thank you, Lord, that you loved us so much and you care about this world and you've demonstrated this love by coming to us and laying down your life for us. Lord, we thank you that it's true. We ask that you'd help us to be salt and light and a blessing to others now. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.